Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's National Mission. We're here to come alongside you as we journey through life under the cross. What does it look like to care for our neighbors in body and soul? How do we tend to our own body and soul? How can we speak up for life? And finally, how do we share the faith with the next generation? Join us as we have these conversations and learn together. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Steph Nugebauer. Here with me today is Dr. Randall Schrader, who's going to give us a crash course on his book, Simple Habits for Effective Parenting. Dr. Schrader, I am in the thick of this parenting thing, really the early years of this parenting gig. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and then a little baby. Uh, So I am equally as excited as our listeners to learn from you. Uh, You have quite an impressive resume and a laundry list of reasons, really, why we should be heeding your advice. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Stephanie, it's my privilege and pleasure to be with you and uh, all your listeners and Uh, I'll start with my personal life. My wife and I uh, just recently celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. Uh, In 1973, uh, we had our first date together, so we've been dating 50 years uh, this year. Uh, We have two sons, our 46-year-old son, daughter-in-law, and three grandkids live in the Indianapolis area where we live uh, right now in a suburb of Indianapolis. Our older or excuse me, our younger son, 43-year-old son, daughter-in-law, and three grandkids live in Austin, Texas. I'm a Concordia University Chicago graduate. I began my uh, ministry as a Lutheran high school teacher. Uh, I was an athletic director, an assistant principal at the high school, and also a head varsity football coach and a head varsity basketball coach at the high school. For nearly 30 years, uh, I was at Concordia Theological Seminary. Uh, serving the Lord there. And I uh, had uh, different capacities there. I was vice president at the seminary, but vice president of student personnel services. I was dean of students at the seminary. Uh, I, of course, taught at the seminary. I was professor of pastoral counseling, and I taught premarital counseling, marriage counseling, family counseling, along with a number of other, uh, of course, pastoral counseling classes and probably taught 1,500, uh, 1,600 of our future pastors back then, now Lutheran pastors today, how to do counseling. And I have written two Christian books, the 2020 uh, three-time national award-winning Christian marriage book, Simple Habits for Marital Happiness, and the 2021 two-time national award-winning marriage book, uh, Simple Habits for Effective Parenting. Uh, I currently... I uh, continue as a Christian counselor. I'm licensed with the state of Indiana, and uh, I do 15 to 20 counseling sessions a week. Uh, I pray by God's grace I have a healthy mind and a healthy body for many more years to come. I hope to continue speaking and counseling until I'm uh, 90. And uh, my counseling practice is at a large Lutheran church uh, in the Indianapolis area in Carmel, Indiana. I have a counseling office in that church and thoroughly enjoy helping individuals, marriages, and parents gain simple yet very effective godly habits that make a difference in life. Now, why did you choose, Randy, to write a book about parenting? What were you seeing in your clinical counseling practice that really pushed you to put pen to paper when it comes to uh, the parent-child relationship? That that is a great question, uh, Stephanie, because every parent wants to effectively 
guide their child. And yet motivation to be a healthy, effective Christian parent is just not sufficient. That, that's not enough. Parents need specific, helpful words, behaviors, common sense wisdom uh, to lead their child, to guide their child, uh, to be confident, to be motivated, responsible, and a godly decision maker. And what I found uh, is that parents just did not have the knowledge. You know, uh, their parents were not effective, and they now want to try to become effective parents, and they did not know how to do that. And of course, there are two challenges, Stephanie, when uh, when a child is born. One is the old lighthearted joke, parents are not giving a parenting merit manual uh, when that child is born. And secondly, almost 100% of parents, probably 100%, were raised with different parenting styles. And so that creates a lot of conflict. Uh, and, and it also hurts the child due to that conflict that one parent wants to parent this way, the other parent wants to parent that way. Uh, often one parent is a little more strict, the other parent's a little more lenient. And rather than come together in the middle, uh, they find themselves pushing their style even more of being more lenient or more strict. And that creates conflict and then does not lead to effectively guiding a child. And so you know, after teaching premier's counseling, marital counseling, family counseling at Concordia Theological Seminary, I wanted to put that information in a book so that parents can effectively guide their child to be a godly person now and, uh, more importantly, to be a godly person, a follower of Jesus from the eight, ages of 18 to 100 when they're on their own as a young adult and eventually an adult. Is there one right way to parent, or in your opinion, does each unique child require different types of parenting? And and then my third part to that question is, depending on your answer, how then do we parent our kids? Obviously, you've written a book that applies to everyone. Yeah, I, I think, uh, Stephanie, a great question. And I do believe, and I, I kind of suggest to people often, stay away from right or wrong and think healthy and not healthy, okay? And so I do believe there is healthy parenting, okay, for children to become godly individuals. You know, I just had a mom uh, yesterday contact me. Uh, she lives in Missouri, and she said, can my husband and I counsel with you? We have a son, a seven-year-old son, who has oppositional defiant disorder. And there is a lot of labels out there. And it makes no difference if they're, if uh, somebody's labeled their child oppositional defiant uh, or whatever. Still, it's healthy words, healthy actions, healthy common sense wisdom, all through a biblical lens, all godly, that makes a difference in a child, no matter what child it is. And I specifically give parents that help. In fact, she said, my, my husband and I have ordered your two books. We've watched your Focus on the Family videos. They are so helpful. We can't find a counselor in the area who takes an educational approach like that to guide us. And we, we want you to kind of go in more depth than, than you do in your book to help us with our son who really is a struggle. And so kind of in answer to your question, Stephanie, I do think it's important that parents be on the same page and there is a healthy way to parent a child. And I think, you know, maybe we'll, I'll talk about this in chapter one, but 
Colossians 3 says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So parents are striving for obedience. Unfortunately, most Christian parents don't know better, but they think control of behavior and control of words is going to make a difference in the life of their child, and it doesn't. Parents, in a sense, can control their child up until about the age of 12. After the age of 12, when mom and dad do not have their eyes on their child, now their child is going to have to start making major decisions. Uh, Are they going to smoke cigarettes? Are they going to vape? Are they going to do drugs? Are they going to drink alcohol? Are they going to have sexual contact? And so seeking obedience with the specific words and actions and common sense wisdom in my Christian parenting book, that, I believe, is the healthy way to parent because there is a healthy way to do it. I think the goal is to help a child become confident and a follower of Jesus and, of course, spend eternal life in heaven. And I'll talk about that at the the end of my Christian parenting book. Uh, But the ultimate goal is for a child to be in heaven with our Savior. But on earth, it's to help a child be a good decision maker. You know, parents often think that what is important is how their child is doing from 1 to 18 when they're going through high school. And that really is not the most important part. I mean, now, that's the foundation. But we want children becoming godly adults and living their life for Jesus and making good decisions. And so the result of parenting is not what's happening right now. It's more what's going to happen when they're adults, and are they going to be good witnesses to Christ crucified and risen? And now you say in your book, successful parenting is never accidental, but the result of goal orientation. And so in your book, you've laid out seven areas or habits you've identified, different aspects of parenting that are healthy foundations for the parent-child relationship. So could you walk us through those seven? Sure, that would be uh, great. And I appreciate the question. And and so with chapter one, I talk about the parenting foundation. You know, parents need to have goals on how they're going to build a strong parent-child relationship, how they're going to meaningfully, lovingly uh, apply the rules uh, so that their child does become a good decision maker. Uh, And so I talk about the four R's, responsibilities, rules, uh, the relationship, routines. I talk about the amazing A's, acceptance, affection, attention, appreciation of kids. And I talk about the important qualities to strengthen in a child, specifically morals based on the Bible. Parents need to know the importance of having a vision, like you kind of mentioned, a vision, a plan to help kids learn biblical morals. That translates into character. Character is what how we demonstrate those uh, biblical morals. And then I talk about obedience. Like I mentioned earlier, that leads to responsible decision-making. And then in that first chapter, I talk about the extremes to avoid. Too many parents are uh, controlling. Again, loving Christian parents, not knowing better, or they're very overprotective, want to protect their child from the bumps and bruises of life, and then they don't know how to deal and cope with adversity when they're adults. And then usually Christian parents don't struggle with being too permissive, but that's another extreme. Chapter two is one of the most important chapters of the seven. The number one goal for every parent is to build a strong parent-child relationship. 
And when we think about that goal as Christians, the stronger our faith is in Jesus Christ, the more we want to obey the Ten Commandments, the more we want to live a godly life. When our relationship is weak with our Savior Jesus, then we're not too concerned about sin. We want to have that strong relationship because when a child has a strong relationship with their parent, they trust that their parent has their best interest at heart. And trust, of course, is the foundation for relationships. Children need to have trust in their parents uh, so that they'll accept the guidance of a parent. And so I always suggest the three R's, relationship plus lovingly applying the rules equals a responsible child. Negatively, and too often, uh, even Christian parents don't realize this, they think if I have a lot of great rules, that's going to make a difference. Rules minus a strong relationship usually leads to a rebellious child. So it all begins with the relationship. Uh, and there needs to be unconditional verbal love for a child. A child needs to know that Almighty God loves them no matter what. And a child need to, needs to know my mom and dad love me no matter what. Uh, and so I think parents often will tell their kids, I love you. I think it's good, and I explain this in more detail in my Christian parenting book, to say, I love you no matter what. And those are the three words. I love, and that's what God says to you and I, Stephanie, and all Christians. Through your faith in Jesus, I love you no matter what, even when you sin. And kids need to know that. Secondly, another idea, and that build a strong parent child relationship is the importance of touch. A lack of touch creates insecurity. You know, we think about prodigal son, and of course, that's an example of our Heavenly Father's love, unconditional love for his children. But in terms of touch, we know that the Bible says the father was filled with love and compassion and ran to his son and embraced his son, physically touched him, and gave his son an affectionate kiss. So we see the importance of touch. And it's often easy for a parent to touch a child when they're babies or four and six, as your kids are. But that touch often starts to diminish as kids get older, and that's not healthy. Parents need to continue to do that. It interests me that in the Bible, and Jesus could have just healed with his voice, or he didn't even need to say anything. But when Jesus healed people, 22 times he touched them. Hmm. And I think Jesus was trying to show us the importance of touch. So touch is essential for children. And of course, I have a number of other ideas to build a strong parent-child relationship. Again, that's the number one goal. One other one is mealtimes make a marvelous difference for children. Hmm. Uh, I just counseled with a uh, pastor and his wife and two teenage sons last night. One of the things I asked was, do you have mealtimes together? And I always ask that question of every family when I see a struggling youngster. And I would say 80, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, the answer is no. And that pastor and his wife and two teenagers said, yeah, we don't have meals together. And I encourage them. It doesn't make any difference if it's just two of them at home uh, or if there's three and they actually have 
two other teenagers. They have four teenagers in the home right now, but they need to have meals together at the table and because that allows for a heart connection. They can The eyes are the windows to the heart. They can look into each other's eyes. Uh, mom and dad can give each of the children a compliment for something they did today. They can talk about biblical values to strengthen biblical values in their child at the kitchen table. Families need to have meals at the table, not going to different rooms, not sitting in the living room, eating on tray tables or something. They need to have meal times together to help build that strong parent-child relationship and develop that positive attitude. There is nothing that makes you feel like you have less control, in my opinion, in parenting than a than a toddler. <laughs> having a toddler with a mind of his or her own. Yeah. It starts in the early years for parents to feel the need to control behavior to avoid embarrassment or to kind of mm -hmm. curb behavior or to even teach. What is one way that we as parents can safeguard ourselves from becoming too controlling? What is one practical way that we can avoid that? That That is a tough question. And by the way, I'm, that's a great question, Stephanie, because I need to mention that these ideas that you and I are talking about today are for probably two and a half years old it begins, okay? Now, if there's a youngster younger than two and a half, you know, I think mom and dad can help the youngster learn to calm down, maybe holding the youngster's hand and saying, you know, let's uh, control our thoughts for five seconds, 10 seconds. Now, the youngster doesn't know that. And when when I let go of your hand, then you can talk again. You know, just to have the youngster develop, we, we know the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to try to even for a toddler, and that's tough. I mean, you and I know that uh, it's tough for a toddler to have self-control, but to have something holding a hand, saying, once I release your hand, then you can, uh, you know, say your words and uh, to kind of learn that self-control. But again, that's a challenge for a one, two-year-old. It really is. And there's no easy answers there. Secondly, you talk in chapter two about the goal being to build a strong relationship as a healthy foundation for the parent-child. Time is love. And you mentioned uh, mealtimes being one of the most important. Would you say if parents want to work on just one habit, would this be the most important is setting aside one-on-one -on -one time with each child? I, I think uh, meal times are important. Looking into a child's eyes is important. Touching a child is absolutely essential. And, and I tell you a big one, Stephanie, I mentioned uh, I love you no matter what, is to ch tell a child every night before they go to sleep, I will love you even more tomorrow than I did today. Mm. That is another one to say every night before kids go to bed, I will love you more tomorrow than I do today. And with our grandkids, every time we see them, we say that phrase, my wife and I, to the grandkids, we're going to love you more tomorrow than we did today. And you know that even if we're not with you, we're going to love you more tomorrow than we did today. 
I don't claim to be any kind of parenting guru by any stretch of the imagination, but I will tell you that one of the game changers in our family is during mealtimes, we actually do what we call is the question of the day. And we actually have this deck of cards on our table. Uh, There's like a hundred different questions. And the great thing is you can pull the same question, you know, weeks later and get a different response from your kids. But even at six and four, our kids love answering those. They're very age appropriate. Or another thing we do is uh, what we call the highs, lows, and ways to go. So we go around the table and we have our kids say, what was the best part of your day? What was the time of the day that made you kind of sad or lonely? And then um, the, the way to go is, where did you see Jesus today? Or where did you see someone show the love of Jesus today? And even at young ages, they love playing those games and actually have really impressive and wise answers for a six and a four-year-old. Uh, so those have just been some some helpful things that we've incorporated in, in our mealtime habits so that we're not all just sitting around, you know, harping on our kids to eat more chicken nuggets or, you know, to, to sit their bottoms in their chairs. It made our time together more constructive and enjoyable. And I'm happy uh, so much, Stephanie, that you uh, uh, suggested those ideas to your listeners because those are terrific ideas. And yeah, to focus on positives, I love that you have the list of uh, are the cards with questions. And yeah, you want that time. I didn't mention it to not be any problem talk. This is not a time to discuss problems. It's just a time to bond together mom and dad with their children, for their children to develop a positive attitude, focus on good things in life. Like you said, asking about Jesus. And uh, yeah, I'm so very proud of you and your husband for doing that and also for having meals together. Now, you said that chapter three is one of the most important chapters. So what does chapter three tell us? Well, chapter three focuses on meaningfully, lovingly applying the rules. You know, again, there's the relationship plus rules, and that will equal a responsible child one day. Uh, The Latin word for discipline is uh, instruction. And so what parents are trying to do is instruct their child in godly living, and like I mentioned in Colossians 3, to be obedient. We know that very familiar parenting Bible verse in Proverbs 22, train up a child. I like to throw in the word guide, guide a child. And loving discipline guides a child to be an obedient, godly decision maker. Now, parents often don't know how to apply the rules. And so I'm going to just mention some specific ideas there that I truly believe are critical uh, in giving loving discipline to a child. The major mistake, if parents ask me, what's the number one mistake that all parents make? It's not providing consistent, decisive discipline the first time. At the very most, parents should only give two chances. Unfortunately, many loving Christian parents do, and there's a difference between a loving Christian parent and a healthy, effective Christian parent. What too many Christian parents do trying to be loving is they ineffectively give numerous chances to their child to make a good decision, and they'll give three, five, ten chances to their child, and one of the best ways to help children learn obedience is for parents to be consistent and decisive. So how do they do that? Well, if a parent, if a child's being disrespectful, I love the three words, will you please? Not would you please, could you please, can you please? 
the word will psychologically actually has been found to be softer on the ears and to bring about more compliance. Will you please be respectful? If a child continues to be disrespectful, then mom and dad need to use the words, you decided because. You decided to, for example, go to timeout because you're being disrespectful. Kids would get two chances. Will you please be respectful? They'll continue to be disrespectful. Either be respectful or you're going to go to timeout. You decide. They continue to be disrespectful. And it's you decided to go to timeout because you're being disrespectful. Now, what I used to do and a lot of parents do, they want to talk about the mistake that was made. Uh, you decided to be disrespectful. No, it's you decide to go to timeout because you're disrespectful. The reason comes last. Too many parents use the pronoun I. I'm going to send you to timeout. I'm not going to let you watch TV. I'm not going to let you play outside when a child's not doing something. Parents always need to hear you decided because. Another key idea, uh, when you then you grandma's law. Our grandmas would say to us, when you eat your chicken and vegetables, then you may have a piece of the pie I baked you. And so it's when you, then you. When you take out the trash, then you may watch TV. When you do your homework, then you may play in your bedroom. When you clean your bedroom, then you may play outside. It's never if you, then you. Parents will kind of use something similar to grandma's law, but they say, if you, then you. If you says, I don't believe in you as my child. When you says, I believe in you, and I know you're going to do it. Well, as we mentioned at the very beginning, we are not given a manual when we leave the hospital with our newborn. But if folks are, are looking for a playbook on parenting, yours is the closest they come. You put the words in our mouth for uh, the ways in which we can relate to our children that are not only effective, but also healthy, which is the goal is to do this in a way in which our Heavenly Father relates to us, which is out of love, care, and with the goal of also obedience. So what's the next habit? Chapter four is having that encouraging atmosphere in the home. Smile a lot at your child. If you're not a smiler still, Smile at your child, have laughter, have humor. Uh, laughing together connects a parent with a child. Watch funny, healthy, godly uh, TV, you know, that has some comedy to it. Lovingly speak with your child. 90% of what we say to each other, Stephanie, comes through our tone of voice and body language. So parents need to watch their tone of voice and body language because only about 10% are our words. Kids don't hear our words, they hear our tone of voice and body language. Parents often forget the importance of complimenting. Uh, parents believe that if I correct my child enough, that's going to make a huge difference. No, complimenting is what builds a child's self-confidence. And, and when parents uh, criticize and correct all the time, it often takes five to nine compliments to count, counter that out. And then again, to build a encouraging atmosphere to just avoid sarcasm. The Greek word for sarcasm means tearing a flesh. Uh, kids don't want their parents to tear their flesh, and so to avoid sarcasm is uh, absolutely essential. And, and then I think keep in mind there's no perfect parent. There's no perfect child. Children make mistakes. Parent makes, makes mistakes. Kids are emotional sponges. 
and I always say example is not the best teacher. Example is the only teacher. Mm-hmm. And more things are caught than taught. So parents need to focus on that home atmosphere because kids are going to sponge up the godly values of mom and dad. Well, you mentioned also to be an effective parent, really to be a leader of your household, your biggest challenge is yourself. And this goes hand in hand with the fact that we are called to be role models for our children. And so really this this parenting book, if I may, is is less about your child and really more about you and the tools that you use in order to shape, to form, to lead by example in, in a godly way. What are some simple ways that we can incorporate this kind of encouraging atmosphere, the sense of just uh, lightheartedness and, and joy in your family? Well, it, it's to be that yourself as a parent. Set that tone in your family of finding good with others and, and your life circumstances and not faults. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Stephanie. You said it very well. And yeah, parents need to be operating at a higher level in every area of life and every positive internal attribute they want for their child, because children will only kind of live up, at least when they're in the home, to where their parents are at. So going back to Galatians 5, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If we want our child to have those internal attributes, we need to be there ourselves as parents, because kids are going to sponge that up, and example is not the best teacher, it's the only teacher. So yeah, you said that very well, and I appreciate you saying that again. Now, what's the next one? Chapter five would be habits for a healthy, enjoyable life. And so I talk about optimism, uh, how that can create a positive attitude. And with God's help, uh, we can deal with problems in life and develop a positive attitude. I mean, problems, I always encourage parents to teach your kids are temporary. You know, very few things are permanent, and most problems are fixable. They have solutions. Uh, and so to help a child find solutions when things happen, you know, is important. Uh, parents need to provide activities for success. Successful accomplishments improve a child's self-confidence and self-worth. And so parents need to be broad in the activities that they provide, like you know, sports, music, robotics, whatever it is. But if a child can have one accomplishment, especially or one success going into high school, those kids usually make pretty good decisions and follow in their parents' footsteps following Jesus. We see all this tragedy in our society today. And I would suggest to you, most of those individuals that commit these tragedies do not have any successes in their life. And so at an early age, parents need to start providing those successes for their children. I think a big one that parents need to recognize is the importance of focusing on effort in life. I've never once in thousands of counseling sessions, I've done more than 60,000 hours of counseling, said to a child, uh, what are your grades? Because I tell them, I don't care about your grades. What I care about is your effort and your improvement. Now, thousands of times I've gone when a youngster comes to counseling and says, ask that youngster, what's your effort grade in math? 
And if they say B minus, I go up by one third and I say, what will it take to improve your effort to a B? And then I go to science. What's your effort grade in science? Well, it's a B. Well, what will it take to improve your effort grade to a B plus? So parents just want to focus on effort and improvement, especially perfectionistic parents are so concerned about achievement accomplishment and that stresses a youngster out. And often those youngsters will quit trying. Uh, they just give up because they can't be perfect. You mentioned the importance of, especially when your kids are enrolled in some kind of sporting activity or some kind of music, the importance of encouraging them or making them really follow through and to finish what they started. And so if it's a season of soccer, you start it, so you finish it. And if it's the piano, you take that up. And so we'll see this through for the time that lessons are, whatever it may be. The follow through helps to accomplish or to build that grit muscle that parents are wanting their children to, to have. Yeah, all, all terrific points. And certainly you have talents and gifts that I don't have. I may have a couple of talents and gifts that you don't have, but what is important is that we give a good effort and, and use the talents that God has given us by giving that effort and trying to improve on those talents like the parable of the talents that Jesus said. And then finally, what are the last habits? Chapter six is preparing a child for the world. And I think it's important. So many, I see so many adults with anxiety and depression that do not have a good morning routine. Uh, I talk about how to avoid chemical temptations. I give dating guidelines and uh, an assessment activity about how to find a good Christian spouse one day. I talk about God's gift of sex and, and a key talk that a parent can have with uh, their teenager when their teenager starts to become interested in the opposite sex about uh, what does God say about marriage in the Bible? What about STDs? How do you set healthy limits? You know, so they can have that important talk. And I go through how you do that. And then I touch briefly on anxiety, depression. A lot of kids have anxiety, depression today. And I give mom and dad some ideas on how to help their child with anxiety, depression. Chapter seven would be habits that strengthen faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. I think too often as Christians, we do not mention the word heaven. Do you and I believe in heaven, Stephanie? Well, of course we believe in heaven. Well, we need to talk about heaven with our children and our grandchildren. Uh, talk about, as the Bible says, the mansion that God's preparing for us. What does that mansion look like? Uh, and that can be a lot of fun. I mean, uh, our two grandsons say that they're going to ask God for an indoor swimming pool in their mansion. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's important to, to have fun uh, in talking about eternal life in heaven and helping kids realize that our earthly life is a blink of the eyes compared to eternity. And that's what counts. I touch briefly on the apologizing forgiving process. Uh, I think I only have two or three pages on the apologizing forgiving process in my parenting book. And then I talk about prayer and how to connect parents and children can connect through prayer. And then I talk about family devotions. I think a lot of times family devotions don't happen because parents believe they need to be 15 minutes. Billy Graham was asked later in his life what he would do differently if he lived his life over again. And I think he had two or three kids that struggled with drugs and alcohol and had some issues. I even think Franklin Graham, 
who does a good job leading uh, Samaritan's Purse right now, had some struggles. But Billy Graham said he was way too rigid with devotions. Devotions had to be a minimum of 15 minutes. He said if he had to do it over again, he would be brief. And then if it expanded naturally, the kids had questions about the Bible story or whatever, then he would go longer. So I suggest to parents have devotions that are five minutes or less. And if the kids want it to go longer and they have a lot of questions, then, you know, they could do that. And so I suggest just a briefly reading the Bible story, ask the kids a few questions about the Bible story, end with prayer, all family members hold heads when they pray. Uh, and so chapter seven focuses on strengthening faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I think that your six and seven can kind of go hand in hand, especially when it comes to either your bedtime or your nighttime routine or your mealtime and incorporating faith conversation. For us, our family devotion time is uh, in the evening right before our kids' bedtimes. It's one of my favorite parts of the day, and it's a pretty much the same time every day. And our, our kids know to anticipate it. They look forward to it. And I also think that when you provide routines, especially for younger kids, Kids. The routine helps a child to anticipate or to know what is coming and what's expected. And so I think that routine goes hand in hand with less anxiety and children feeling just more secure. So then we see how a routine starting very young in a child's life continues to be foundational for them as they grow into adulthood. Could you give us some kind of encouragement for parents who might be listening who feel overwhelmed with these habits that maybe they're not implementing right now, but really want to? The stakes feel very, very high for parents, and that's because they are. You have little children who are entrusted to you, and your job as parents is to lead them in the way of Jesus and to really tend to their soul. So what would you say to the parent who might be parenting out of fear of messing their child up? Good, good question, Stephanie. And I want to say to all the parents listening, please, please have no guilt. All parents make mistakes, just as all children are imperfect as, as well. Even though I'm a marriage expert and a parenting expert, my wife and I made mistakes raising our sons and wish we had do-overs. In fact, it says you're a healthy Christian parent when you do have some regrets and wish you could do things differently. You were trying to do it the best. So I think that's the first thing. And then the other suggestion I would have is pick one or two simple yet very effective habits every week to develop. In fact, the question I would ask is what one habit when you develop that habit and become excellent at it, will make the most positive difference in parenting and guiding your child to be an obedient, godly person. And so just focus on that one habit or two habits every week. And the other idea I would suggest, I've done six national interviews uh, on Focus on the Family, uh, and parents can pick a video on Sunday and watch it together to put them on the same page as mom and dad. The mother of all learning is repetition. When mom and dad are parenting their child in the exact same way, that will influence their child's heart to become a good decision maker. You can just go to YouTube and type Dr. Randy Schrader, focus on the family. There'll be a ton of focus on the family videos there. And I've had numerous parents say that they just pick one video, watch it on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and that begins the week on a positive note. And then that puts them on the same page as mom and dad. So 
don't feel any guilt. All parents make mistakes. Take one habit a week, maybe two, and develop it, become excellent at that habit, and then keep building on that. And if you can improve as a mom and a dad 1% per week, that's terrific because at the end of the year, you're 50% healthier as a mom or a dad. I'll echo what you said in your book too. For any parents reading your book or listening, if they're married, the best thing that you can do for your child is to love your spouse. One of your primary responsibilities is to provide a loving home, you say. And so more on that, your book, Simple Habits for Happy Marriages, as you strive to be both a good parent and a godly spouse to your husband or wife. Randy, as you said, you can find both books now at cph.org. Thank you so much, Randy, for the time that you gave me today and for the wisdom that you shared with our listeners. Thank you so very much. And thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that discusses the life God has given and the people He has called you to serve right where you are in God's mission.